The following is a message of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Well, good morning, First Baptist Church. It's good to be with you. Andy, it's good to have you leading in worship here. Uh, this is, uh, I had to be here four times to get to have you, so great to have you, brother. You, you've learned today that I'm not real good. My wife has learned I'm not very good with instructions. I thought I was preaching next door, and so I dressed casually today, and, and uh, so uh, here you go. It's not going to mess the sermon up too much. I came Wednesday and uh, taped the service. I thought I was taping for in here, so I dressed up, <laughs> so everybody's getting it, you know, but that's what you do. You keep them guessing, all right, and you know what guessing is. This week, the toughest week of the year is the week after Time Change Sunday. Because you spend all week looking at every clock wondering if it's been changed, okay? I'm on time or not, whatever, and uh, so I hope you got all your clocks straight this week. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, uh, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. And uh, as you know, I'm doing a little series here in preparation for Easter uh, called Final Instructions. And uh, we're looking at the last things Jesus was teaching. And very often he is teach with his words. Most often he would just teach with how he would do things. And we're going to see him this morning when he's betrayed. And we can learn a lot from Jesus in this betrayal experience, especially how people handle uh, chaos when things are out of control around them. Let me set the stage for this message by uh, telling you a little story about me several years ago. Uh, I had the fun joy of preaching at the European Baptist Convention for two or three years in a row, and that meant that I had to go to Interlaken, Switzerland three years. That was a tough deal right there, and uh, Sandy and I loved going there and working with that convention. And uh, we got there, and we kept hearing about uh, some of the greatest whitewater rafting in the world was just outside that town between two mountains, Eiger and the Jungfrau. They had a river, and, and my idea of whitewater rafting or rafting was to get on a little deal and casually float down the river. But a friend of mine, Don Don River, said, well, let's go do that. So we went up, uh, drove up, we driving by the river going up there, and I thought, whoa, we coming down that. And so we got there, and I should have known how difficult it was going to be. The first thing they do would put us in wetsuits, okay? And that's for those who go overboard, and they began to train us, and the guide said to us, now, okay, I've got three instructions when you're supposed to paddle, and he said, that's one instruction. He said, the second instruction is when I say duck, you get down in the bottom of the boat and hang on with your life to anything you can grab a hold of, and the third one is the instruction of what we do when people get washed and blown out of the boat, And so I start down that river with Don, and I'm telling you, it is chaos. And I, I was wondering if I was going to make it. I made a lot of commitments to the Lord. I got my tithe all the way to 30%, okay, <laughs> saying, dear God, get me out of this deal. And, and I, I began to realize as we were going down that river that it was really quite simple. If I would listen to that guide, he wasn't nervous. He had done it a lot of times before. In the middle of all eight of us in that boat wondering if we will make it and going crazy and screaming and hollering, he just would calmly tell us what to do. And I learned that if I would listen to this guy in the middle of this chaos, I could have a lot of fun. About halfway down, I relaxed. 
and began to enjoy the down the river. In fact, I moved my tide back to 20%, okay? And uh, so I said, okay, Lord, let's, uh, let's talk about this later. But uh, I, I watched him so calm in the middle of chaos, and I realized that our lives, we find ourselves a lot of times in situations, relationships, circumstances, where things are spinning out of control. And what we're going to learn from Jesus today is how to be that person who is calm in the middle of chaos. We're finding him. Here he is coming out of the Garden of Gethsemane. And this group comes, led by Judas, to betray Jesus. Let's read this scripture. We'll begin. Mark 14, verse 42. He's been with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Rise, let's go, and my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd, you ought to use the word mob, with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, This one I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to Jesus, and at once he said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one who stood by, and by the way, we learned from the other Gospels, that was Peter, okay? Uh, Peter always brings some excitement to things, doesn't he? Uh, the one who stood by drew his sword and struck the servants uh, of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, by the way, other Gospels give us other details and said that Jesus healed this ear. And, and uh, in the middle of that, Jesus actually healed what Peter had done. And Jesus said to them, have you come out? Against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all led it, left him and fled. And a young man, by the way, that young man, most folks believe it was Mark, the writer of this gospel. This is kind of his signature on this. This was John Mark. Followed him. And with nothing but a linen cloth on his body, they seized him, and he ran away naked because they had seized what was around him, his clothes. What you find in this situation is things spinning out of control. Lots of players in this. Let's, let's just examine these players. First guy you have is Judas, okay? He seemed to be the star of this show. Now, you look at Judas, this guy that had been with Jesus for these years, watched him heal, watched him do miraculous things, and yet you see his greed. You see his selfishness. You, you see hypocrisy like nowhere else maybe in all of Scripture. Do you realize? He was there to betray Jesus, and yet... He used the kiss, which was a sign of endearment to someone. When you met someone and kissed them, it was a sign of brotherhood. And then to use the word rabbi, I mean teacher. When you called somebody a rabbi, you spoke of that with great respect. And yet, he was using all that to betray Jesus. Wow, what a guy, what a man. Then you have the mob. Who made up that mob? Many, they believe, lots of folks. First of all, you had the Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers usually were down at Caesarea by the sea, but during these feast times, they would come to Jerusalem because they knew there was potential for riots. And so those guys were everywhere there was tension because they had to keep control of what was going on in circumstances. Then you have the, the, the religious police. The scribes and Pharisees had their own police force. And they were there, they were there with torches and clubs and those things. And then you had the mob. Many folks believe that a lot of people in this crowd were folks they had just a few days ago 
had triumphantly said Jesus, Hosanna, now had been incited by the religious leaders, and they were there to get Jesus. Everybody was there to get him. But then you interject Peter, okay? Peter's a guy who can bring chaos to a good afternoon nap, okay? Uh, Peter was this guy that walks in there, and, and what does Peter think? Well, I've got to take, I've got to take matters in my own hand. I mean, can you imagine this mob, Roman soldiers, religious police? He takes out his little sword, and he's going to defeat them all. He said, okay, uh, y'all bring swords? I've got a sword. Let's just do battle. And we find Peter, you know, bringing great injury to this situation. Then you got John Mark. John Mark, the guy who stayed to the end, stayed longer than anybody. They oftentimes believed that his mom and dad owned the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was, maybe even the place of the upper room. John Mark is there, and yet he runs away. And then later it tells us that the disciples fled in fear. See all the chaos that is going on in this circumstance. And you begin to look at this, and you begin to say, my goodness, I found my life in the middle of stuff like that. You may even have that going on in your family, in your work, or in your neighborhood right now, where things seem to be spinning out of control. And what happens to us is, is emotions, emotions whether religious or for ourselves or for defending or whatever, our emotions get into the middle of that. I had a guy once say, the higher emotions go, the lower rationale goes, okay? And the emotions of the moment, we find ourselves in that chaos, and we get finished. And very often we will kind of look at ourselves and go, why did I act like that? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Couldn't I have been someone in the middle of this circumstance that brought some calmness to it, some rationale to it? Well, if you want that for your life, we can look at Jesus in this situation and realize that that's what Jesus wants to bring to chaos. Whatever circumstances we would find ourselves in, Jesus would like for us to be controlled by him and be in that something bigger than what we very often has been. Well, to understand what's going on right here, we we ought to start with examining why we bring chaos around our lives. Very often the reason why we bring it is we want to win this battle. We want to win whatever's going on. We want to be someone who's proven right. We want to get our point across. We want to be heard. We want to defend our position. And so what we do is when it gets in battle, we we bring ourselves to that battle because we want to win. Another thing is oftentimes we want to fight fire with fire. They're going to get loud, we're going to get loud. We're going to bring our sword, whatever we can. They brought their sword. So you know something? It's time to do battle. It's time in this situation to bring my sword, and let's find out who's going to win in this situation. Then what we also do is often we will take the matter in our own hands. When there's a chaotic moment, we think we can handle it. We can grab a hold of it and take control. I think that's what Peter was thinking. But sometimes, though, I find that a lot of people bring to chaos hypocrisy. In other words, we say and do things that are not really us. We want to appear as something. When in reality, we're something quite different from that. And all these traits you find in this experience, we bring to it, if not least of all, what we do is say, ha, that's enough. And we run out of our fears, out of our anger, out of how we, what's going on. We just say, well, I'm just getting out of this. I'm moving on. 
Well, what we ought to ask is God has allowed us to be in those situations. And by the way, in a fallen world, as a fallen person, we're going to find ourselves there very, very often. And what we ought to do is choose some things other than these things I've just mentioned. Could it be what it means in this situation? Is that God wants us to be like Jesus in this circumstance, in this battle, in this chaos? Then maybe what we ought to do is just examine Jesus right here and say, okay, if I had you in control of my life, I would bring calmness to this, and maybe something would happen here more than just a battle, more than just an argument, more than just a chaotic situation. Well, there's two or three things that Jesus brought to this that I believe allowed him to be used mightily in this circumstance and allowed us to see something quite different from what we see in the rest of the world. The very first thing I'd say is Jesus brought calmness. So listen to this statement. Is he lived by a higher purpose than what he found in the moment? Now think about that for a minute. When Jesus was there in the garden, He's being betrayed. He could have called 10,000 angels in a moment and took them, taken over. In fact, one of the Gospels says when they came up to him, they literally fell back. He could have taken advantage of that situation and done anything he wanted. He could have won that moment. He had within his power, even Peter with his little sword, he could have taken that and he could have wiped everything out. But you see, Jesus didn't live his life in the moment. He lived his life by something that was a higher purpose. He was about something bigger than winning that battle. He was, as you know, he was about the circumstance of bringing salvation to mankind. He was about going to the cross. He was about something much, much more than what was happening in that circumstance and in that situation. And what I ask you today, When you and I find ourselves in the middle of circumstances where it's chaotic, we can live in the moment. We can try and win. We can try to be proven right. We can try and take control and get everything solved. Or we can begin to say, God, what do you want to do in this situation? What is really going on here that you see, Lord, and you want to use me in this, not to, not to win a battle, because what we've got to recognize is God fights our battles. We don't have to win. God's the one who's in the business of fighting our battles. And can we be people who look at this situation and say, wow, wow, there, there's something bigger going on right here than this one chaotic moment that's happening in this situation. You see, Jesus had already settled that he was going to live his life for a higher purpose. He did that in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was wrestling with God, and God ultimately brought his will to him. You're going to a cross. You're going to live by this purpose. You came to this earth not to win these little battles. You came to this earth to go to a cross, rise from the dead, and, and bring salvation to mankind. He had a higher purpose for his life than winning something with some religious police and uh, a mob or, or even the Roman soldiers. Jesus knew that there was something bigger for him than what was happening in this moment. Could that be what God wants to do with you and me? Instead of letting our emotions and feelings 
and desires get caught up in this moment. Could it be what God wants to do? It's for us to begin to think God thoughts. God, not my will be done in this, but your will be done. You know, Jesus had already settled an issue that you find him very often saying throughout the Gospels. I come here to do my Father's purpose. I come here to say what my Father says to do. I come here to live like we live in heaven. What I see from the Father, that's what I do. That's a higher purpose. That we would say, Lord, I've been bought with a price. You gave your life for me. I'm here to be sacrificed for you. I'm here to be used up for your glory. I'm here to be your instrument in whatever circumstances I find in my life. And Lord, help me to fulfill your will for me in the middle of that, rather than fulfilling my will in this this circumstance. I, I read a book several years ago that I think described this, humanly speaking, about as well as anything. It's a book by Adam Makos. It's a book called A Higher Call. I I like reading World War II spy movies, uh, books, and stuff like that. It was a story of of a guy by the name of Franz Stigler. He was a World War II ace for the Germans, and he flew those jets, those those little prop job uh, planes, single-engine planes, and he was very, very good at it and was known all over the country, Franz Stigler. They would know who that was. And he would very often be found fighting those B-17s as they'd run, do their bombing runs across the, uh, the, the continent. And he'd be there doing that battle. But he had something in his life that he believed. He believed that he was going to live for Germany and fight for Germany and want to win the war for them. And so he'd go into the battle to fight. But he had something that he said in his soul, is I'm never going to pick on a cripple. If it can be a battle between me and them, let's go do it, and whoever country wins. But he had a, a, they called chivalry. He would never be a guy who would attack a plane that was disabled and take that plane down and destroy them because it wouldn't be a fair fight. One day in one of the battles, one of our B-17s got beat up bad, and, and he said you could literally see one of the gunners dead in their, in their spot so he could attack from that place. And he knew that that plane was crippled, and he could take them down in a minute. But he had a higher calling. He believed in chivalry, that it was a a person who would not take advantage of a weak person, someone who was disabled. He not only didn't attack that plane, you know what he did? He escorted that B-17 all the way back to their base in England so they could land, and no one else would take them over. Later on, eight or ten years after the war... The pilot of that plane, Charlie Brown and Franz Stigler, got together and met one another. And Charlie Brown knew he had saved his life. But what was he doing in that moment? Yes, living for his country, but he had a higher plane. It would cause him to live with a higher purpose. Could it be in our lives, God's got something bigger for us than winning every battle? being proven right in every circumstance, justifying ourselves and defending ourselves. Maybe what he's wanting to do in our circumstances is to teach us how to be like Jesus, live by something higher than what's happening in that situation. But then the second thing, I think the reason why Jesus was calm, now listen to this because I want to explain it further. I talked a little about it last week. Jesus came from an intimate time with God. Jesus came from an intimate time with God. Now, certainly, throughout Jesus' life, he obeyed God. But in that garden, 
You and I know as we looked last week, there was a spiritual battle going on. And in that time with Jesus in the garden, there with His heavenly Father, they were wrestling with something incredible, something unbelievably challenging, going to the cross, taking on mankind's sin. But He had been there in those moments. And He had had that intimate time with Jesus, with, with His Father. And guess what God was doing? God was preparing Him for what was about to come. A betrayal. A trial by a bunch of religious guys who couldn't, couldn't do anything religiously that was worth anything. In front of Herod and Pilate, being spat upon, being mocked, being, have a crown of thorns on his head, put a robe on him, making him look like a fool. He knew that out ahead of him was something called the cross, where even Jesus would cry out, God, why why are you forsaking me at this moment? Why do I have to do this one more time? And all those things from the cross where he ultimately had to forgive. How can you do something like that and remain calm, be at peace, living by God's purpose? I'm convinced it came out of an intimate time with God. He was walking with God with such oneness He could even go to a cross that he didn't deserve and die right there. Now, what does that say about our times with God? I hope not only do you have a time with God in worship and in your Bible study, but do you have a regular time in which you and God are intimate, in which you and God are talking about life, which you and God is a place where God, you know what he's doing? He's preparing you for what's ahead. It's not just a quiet time box we check off. It's not just going to God, well, I've got a prayer list. I've got a prayer list, and God, this quiet time is going to be about my prayer list, getting all my stuff that I'm wanting from you. Or it could even be opening the Word of God, so we'll know more about the Word of God. What it is, that's all about us. Does your quiet moment with God include some intimacy in which you talk, but you also listen? Which God is dealing with your soul and you're settling the question of who's in charge, settling the question of why you live, what your purpose is. Settling the question of when you face something out there, what you're going to choose. Are you going to choose chaos? Or are you going to choose to be used of God in that situation? You see, what God wants to do is He wants to take these moments, these quiet moments, in which He fills us with His Spirit, fills us with His strength, not just so we will be good or feel good, so that we'll be ready when we walk out into life. And we'll be ready to be what God wants us to be rather than what others want to do. And and when we begin to do that, the world will begin to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. This person isn't governed by themselves. There's, There's something in them. There's a purpose in them that's higher than this moment. And And you see, that's what God wants to do in that moment that we spend 
Those moments that we spend with him. I'm reminded of, of, of the story of Peter and James, uh, Peter and John uh, being arrested. Acts chapter 4, when he was arrested. Uh, it describes that they were taken before the same group of people that had condemned Jesus to die. And yet, when they went before those people after Pentecost, they were under the control of the Holy Spirit. They spoke with calmness and certainty. They were not ugly or mean. They just told the truth. And it said about them, I love this statement. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that those men had been with Jesus. Now, I know. They were referring partially to the fact they had been his apostles. But I think they recognized these guys were walking with Jesus. And it was obvious how they handled this situation. And even even the same people that condemned Jesus and could have condemned Peter and John, let them go. Because they recognized they were in the middle of something that involved men who had something they didn't have, an intimacy with God. You see, that's what God wants to do with you and me. We walk into the life. We never know when chaos is going to happen around us, when things are going to fly out of control. What we want to be is people controlled by the Holy Spirit, controlled by God. And it's going to come out of an intimate time with God. What, What is your intimate time with God like? Does it have some time that you're quiet before God and you listen to His voice and gets you ready for life, life circumstances? I remember reading the book, The Shack. It's a little novel written several years ago. The reason it appealed to me is the writer had lost a child and I was very interested in what he was saying. I know in that book there's a lot of bad theology, okay? And what he did was take Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit and personified them in people. A lot of folks think he's really messed that up in some places. But I'll, my favorite scene in the entire book is when he gets up and he's in the room with God the Father. And God the Father, by the way, is represented by a black lady, <laughs> Okay? And that's so wonderful, such a picture. And in that room, God the Father fixes breakfast for him. Loves on him and ministers to him. And he starts to have his quiet time, and he gets his Bible out. (laughs) And God the Father said, what are you doing? He said, well, I always read my Bible in my quiet time. He said, that's great. But right now, why don't you just close the book and let us talk a little bit? talk a little bit. I began to look at my times with God. Am I going through the motions? Am I getting it done? Am I accomplishing everything I needed to accomplish? Or have I decided it's a moment for God and me to talk about life? I'm convinced the reason Jesus brought calm in the midst of chaos is it came out of a time of intimacy with the Heavenly Father. Then the last thing, quickly. When all is said and done, we have to decide that we want to honor and please God with our response. We want to honor and please God 
with our response. Not our will be done, but God's will be done. After these chaotic moments, when we do a post-mortem, go back and look at it. Is it obvious in that situation with our demeanor, with our words, with our tone, with our actions? That we are aware that God was watching. We wanted God to be pleased. And when it's over with, for God to be honored, not us be proven right. The reason why in this situation Jesus did it is he only had one to please. (laughs) The Heavenly Father, he lived his life before an audience of one. And he wanted that one to be pleased with how he handled his circumstances. I think you and I have got to come to a conclusion of who we want to please in life. Do we want to please ourselves? Do we want to please everybody around us? Or we come to the conclusion, God, if you're not pleased, I'm not going to be pleased. Would you so fill me with your spirit? And in the middle of life, (laughs) I'd walk through it like you want me to walk through it. So, how would God be pleased? Well, I think God would be pleased if we decide our purpose. Is it higher than this life? I think God would be pleased if we get ready for the day with a time with him. I think God would be pleased if we see chaos as an opportunity not to win but to glorify God. I think God would be pleased if he saw us caring more what he thought than what we think. See, I don't know about you. I got too many times in life I get in a mess. I can blame it on everybody else, but I'm part of the mess. I can identify with every one of those characters. Okay? But the one I want to identify with is Jesus. Now, where does it start? For some of you today, it would start with a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, something we call salvation. You're never going to get there until you have that moment you surrender your life. Ask Jesus to come take control of you and forgive your sins and to be your Savior and Lord. If you've never done that, all the sermons... All the little one, two, three, fours of what you ought to do won't help you one bit. There's a chaos in your soul that you've got to get settled first before you can ever have help with the chaos in the world around you. And that chaos is what the Bible calls sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says. That sin separates us from God, and we'll be separated from God until we cease to be separated Instead of pushing him away, we put our arms around him and bring him in. I want you to know if you've never done that, that's the whole reason this church exists. So you might come to a Sunday morning service and hear about Jesus and how you can be saved. We're getting ready to have an invitation time. We're going to sing a song. And certainly some will come down to the altar possibly because they want to pray about the chaos in their lives. 
And some don't need me to pray with them. They just need to come here and pray. But others of you, as Bill and I will be here at the front, we want to help you know Jesus. We want to help you know a relationship with him. So I'm going to pray, and as I, after I pray, Andy's going to lead us in a song. We're not going to tarry long. You know what you need to do. You come in just a minute. Father, take these moments. Take these moments, God, and use these moments for your glory. God, our purpose today is that men and women, boys and girls, would come to Jesus. I pray it would happen right now for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.